In the span of just seven days, Twitter underwent a transformation, becoming an example of one of the swiftest and most abrupt rebranding efforts ever witnessed in media history. The process also marked the end of one of the world's most renowned brands. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media and author of Beyond Se Habla Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market. And this is In Camera Podcast, where we are happy to record with better audio quality again. Welcome back. So nice to see you. Nice to see you too, Leo. Yeah. Now, every time we get together for an episode, it's quite the event. And this time even more so because we've kind of like took an additional week from what we usually leave in between episodes. So this is extra special. And a lot has happened ever since we had that last conversation. Before we dive into today's um, topic, which is going to be AI related, and I'm dying to hear the things that you have to share. Um, let's just very, very quickly talk about Twitter's rebrand to uh, X. And I know we're super late in uh, time for this conversation, but this is not about breaking the news that Twitter has actually rebranded to X. It's more so about what do we think about the move, Grace? Because I honestly think that changing from a brand that everybody knows, I mean, everyone, you, me, every single person has that logo in our website, has it in our email signatures, has it in our promotional material, and it arguably could be the little bluebird, could actually arguably could be one of the best known or most recognizable logos and fabicons that exist in the world, right? And here you have a brand that decides and say, wait a minute, we don't care. Like, we don't care. We want to actually distance ourselves from there and set up a new tone and went on and rebranded to an X. Different complete scholars, color scheme, really not retaining anything about the brand image that they uh, had before as when they were still called and branded under Twitter and uh, went with it and really also possibly executed one of the fastest rebrands at scale of a real big company that we've ever seen in recent times because this just didn't just mean that you know the app uh, logos internally changed like their building <laughs> signage changed and it's quite significant. So what are your thoughts on that, Grace? I mean, taking it piece by piece here, you know, when you do a rebrand, generally speaking, according to best practices, they state that every 10 years you should do a refresh, mm -hmm. potentially right. a full rebrand, right? So they are about due, I'd say, for a refresh, but a complete rebrand seems very odd. Um, yeah. because like you said, they, they're so iconic, right? That, that, yeah, it's iconic. It's, it's just, that is, the, yeah, it's that's the iconic. right word. Yes. Yeah. It's iconic. So having a complete rebrand, 
I kind of do understand a little bit because they are trying to technically move away from potentially in in my mind what they're the reason they did this is to move away from all of the bad blood and press that's kind of surrounded it since it switched over to Elon Musk. That's how yeah. I'm looking at it. And I think he just, you know, with his SpaceX and his whole X and the, you know, that, that whole brand that he has, I think yeah. he's trying to marry the two a little bit, maybe. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. Yeah. A couple of things here. You're right, right? Brand refreshers are good, are actually historically been seen as, for most of times, good uh, for brands, right? Um, and actually, even though Twitter's bird is being a staple of the brand every ever, you know, since the very beginning, it has changed a lot since it was first launched in 28, uh, 2008, up until now, it has evolved right to the version that we uh, knew last, which is the blue, more minimalistic kind of like uh, shape of the bird. But um, it has evolved, right? I believe at some point it had uh, little legs and eyes. So uh, it has uh, it has changed. Yet this is more what you're saying there, like, for whatever reason, whatever the reason is, because we don't necessarily know what is what drove the actual change, but he wanted it to say, you know, the Twitter, as you know, it is is done, right? And a new chapter here begins that it's not even Twitter. And, and a lot of talks being put on the fact that he doesn't want Twitter to be limited into a text app, but he wants also for it to expand into video streaming because he's also um, expanded the amount of video content that you can upload as a user at a, at a, any given time. Uh, but it's not just like kind of like the social media aspect for it. It also hints to at some point evolve into a payments um, platform and such. So obviously he has a much bigger vision than just a social media platform. And I believe this is kind of like a way of saying like, it's not, this is not Twitter anymore. It's a different thing. It still has the Twitter that you know inside of it, but it's 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 now a different thing. But while what it's really, really wild here is, to my opinion, is like, taking an asset because you can certainly say that the Twitter brand, it's, a, it's an asset in its own rights. I was hearing um, on a podcast, uh, marketing uh, experts as well, discussing that if that brand would have been put up on the market, like you can buy the rights to this brand, right? To the website, to the logo, to everything that could have been worth um, a few billions, just the brand by itself, right? Just the use, just the name, just the recognition. And and here is the thing, Ray's, and they explained it very eloquently. You can actually try, I mean, you can actually, you yourself, set yourself the task, create a brand that has the same recognition as Twitter has over the next 10 years. Here is $10 billion and do it. And you may not necessarily succeed, right? That's how impactful this is. Like, this is not something that happens to every single brand that has the capital or has the uh, intention of positioning themselves in such a way. This actually is a very, 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 very hard thing for it to happen, for such brand to be recognized in such a way. And so this got all flushed away and it now X. And so it really uh, showcases a way of, running a business and making decisions that doesn't necessarily align very much with with the rationale that most people will use or guide themselves. Uh, some argue that it's genius, some argue it's 
uh, some are some say that this is stupid, right? And I just wanted it to bring it up more so because of the lesson of execution, right? I think most of you've gone through a brand uh, refresh recently, and we've done it as well over the past few years, a couple of times. And the execution usually takes months, months. And I believe we also recorded an episode talking about this not too long ago, maybe a year or so ago. And we've probably also broke this down as a process that it may take months, right? Like you'll first start because, you know, you also need to be realistic. You have uh, promotional materials that may be carrying your your old branding, right? So what do you do with those, right? Well, depends how aggressive you want to be with your rebrand. You can still kind of like use those, but start facing them out and slowly but surely start bringing in the new stuff and such. But this is kind of like the best example of how do you do it when resources are not necessarily an objection and you just uh, run with it. And they went on to rebrand worldwide known brand in a matter of uh, a week, 10 days. I mean, it's tremendous, right? It's insane. So it's possible. Yeah. So it's possible. I mean, you know, it's a great example of no taking no for an answer. I think I think that's a, that that's probably one of the biggest lessons in here, right? Everything that Elon has done from the layoffs, like cutting down or or trimming down Twitter's line uh, of employees from whatever they were to a third of that and keep the platform running to then rebranding completely to a new thing and just doing it on its own term on his own terms i mean it's really it 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 defies every notion of the business playbook as we know it so i think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there and there's a lot of challenges to be for for grabbing right i mean because of course you know you're you're not the richest man in the world but that doesn't mean that you can learn and you can actually adopt some of his drive uh, techniques there. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously with Elon, it's always seems to be he pushes the envelope on everything he does, which is just a part of his nature and his character. I mean, with Tesla, SpaceX, everything that he touches is almost always different, right? And a different way of looking at something it is. and thinking about things. And that's what we call the visionaries. Right. And yeah. sometimes they throw stuff against the wall and it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. But they have the drive, like yeah. you said, to do something different, yeah. push it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, yeah. well, then they could, they have the potential for losing millions. Yeah. But he's done it. And so it, it's lots of lessons to be learned. Uh, but anytime you're a visionary, if you're not pushing the envelope, you're stagnant. If you're not changing things or making the taking what you own and making it yours that's what he's done yeah i i give a lot of credit and i i you know i, I it's evident whether i acknowledge it or not that what elon's done in engineering in you know s space exploration and development in the the motor industry i mean it's it's tremendous it's it's like a whole new era has started through um things that he've developed 
what I do believe though, right? And this is my own opinion. And I, other people do not have to agree with what I say is that the fact that you've proven to be a genius in, in some things don't make you a genius automatically on everything else, right? And I don't necessarily think that his execution on media, you know, running a social media platform are necessarily genius as well, right? You can you can just take the shortcut and 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 call it that way because everything else he's done in other verticals have proven to be very successful and just assume that what he's doing there is also successful, even though it goes against all logic of what we've known as good practice and good deployment. And from what we've seen up until now, it also doesn't tell me this is genius, right? It doesn't tell any, any, nothing of what Twitter has become is telling me this is a better platform than what it was before, right? But the bottom line, the objective point in here is that the platform still runs, the user base is there, advertisers have left running and they're not coming back so it's not a profitable platform so you know that's where i'm questioning where's the genius in that but anyhow the bottom line for the purpose of what this conversation is which is um rebrand as a strategy and as a move there is a lesson to be learned in here it doesn't have to be so complicated if you want it and you want to do it and you're willing to commit to the task you can make it happen okay so grace Let's move on to this next part of the conversation, which is AI for lawyers. I love this. So tell me a little bit, what is it that um, you have, where do you got this information and let's dive into it. So you know how much I love technology and being such a big nerd yes. on technology. Um, we've yes. kind of been involved in AI for a long time, particularly, I mean, mm -hmm. even the advent of chat GPT and then as each version has gone on and on and on and We've talked about BARD and, you know, ChatGBT separately. So there's a component of a system that I currently use and has been a part of the system I use for a while now, and that's called Zia. Zia is Zoho CRM's AI chatbot. It just released something called Smart Prompts, which allows us to leverage ChatGBT's API and key to provide smart prompts based on a contextual basis within our CRM. All that means is basically making it easy for our agents to ask a question and get an answer. How do I write this email? What's the best way to do this? What's the best way to do that? So with that being said, anybody that knows our firm knows Ed as the owner. And Ed as the owner was a marketing, is a marketing lawyer. Okay. He's, well, he's an attorney and he's been in mass towards forever. Marketing is kind of his thing. And so technology has become his thing as well. We are a fully remote law firm. And so as part of that, we are always looking at new software programs. And those of you that have listened to our podcast know that I try yeah. three to 10 new ones every month. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that is true. And I, and I can vouch for that. I mean, no one can speak better for software, even if it's brand new, even if it's better, Grace gets her hands on it and starts playing on it. And that's amazing. That's, I think, something that it's, a, it's, it, it is, it's really a skill and it's a discipline and it's so wonderful. So I vouch for that. Sorry, I don't want to cut your flow. No, not at all. And, and it's funny you said that because <laughs> I'm also a beta user on two new 
um, conversational AIs that are built on the backbone of Zoho CRM Zia, mm-hmm. which leverages ChatGPT in addition to it. So I am now in a beta version for the uh, vendor side of things, but also um, the agent side of things. And what does that mean? So this led us to the next um, potential workshop. Because a lot of times, you know, while I might go to pretty much every workshop I can find on AI and things that are specific to law firms, it doesn't happen that often. So there was one that came up very recently in the last two weeks, and that was Pilma, you know. You yeah. were telling me, yeah. Yeah. And Pilma, for those of you that don't know, it's run by Ken Hardison. And, you know, I constantly promote Ken because, you know, I've been around for a while now, for about 10 years. He's been around way longer than me. And, yeah. you know, I call him the billionaire maker. So it's the Personal Injury Legal Marketing and Management Association. Um, they had an AI workshop. It was a two-day in-person I asked if I could get the recording because I wanted to attend but didn't have time to, so I sent my developer. Which, of course, we did a debrief before and after. What are we going to learn? What do we want to learn? What yeah. are we going to talk about? How are we going to apply what we learn at the show after the fact for our use? Because yeah. as most of you know, most of it's for PI, right? For yeah. personal injury, motor vehicle accidents, writing demands. We don't do that. We are mass torts. Yeah. Can I just stop you there for a moment Great, before you go on? Because what you said there, it's, it's, it's a lesson in itself there. And I really want our listeners to uh, think about that. Because um, what you said there is that you had meetings with the team who attended your uh, conference or your web developer who attended the, the conference prior and after. Okay. And that's super, super inter- important because I think one, one, one practice that's become more normal when attending conferences now because it's more talked about it's like you go to the conference you kind of like get a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of knowledge that you gather so now people are starting to do debriefs right they 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 gather uh with their organization or with the attendees or those who attended and those who did not attend and kind of like start creating an action plan or try to create um plan of what they learn, what they're going to implement, a priority list, something, right? Structure, what are the outcomes of having attended the conference? But what you're saying here is a meeting ahead of the actual conference to set up a plan, a goal of what are the objectives of what you are attending. So already having an idea of what is the knowledge that you want to get out of and focus on that. And I think that's so, so important because oftentimes people just go to a conference and it's kind of like, I'll just go with the flow and I'll just show up to whichever sessions actually happen to be around when I'm around. And that's such a missed opportunity because at the end of the day, right, you're not going to be in control of what you're learning and whether it's actually of use for what you are going to implement. And these conferences can be very inspirational and can be very, very beneficial as long as they actually align to your priorities and your objectives. And so if you don't do, if you don't 
put up the work up front of organizing what are your priorities and what are the talks and what are the networking that is worth investing on because the networking is an important part of it. That's not going to come to you. You show up to the conference room itself. Yes, you're going to hear the talk. But if you do not have a particular agenda of what you are after and pursuing, you may lose the opportunity of actually connecting with individuals who are mastering certain tasks there, right? I'm so sorry that I've created this kind of like parenthesis in there, but I, but I really think that it really um, showcases a best practice in how do you actually execute on conference strategy because just attending the conference is not a strategy, a strategy on its own, okay? Moving on, sorry, go ahead. I'm glad you said that, honestly, because we are talking about marketing and best practices and we always talk about that, but I, I missed the mark on that one because you're right, it's something I do because it's intrinsic to my nature, particularly with software developers because they need to know the why. Mm -hmm. Most people need the why, but developers and technical people need to not just know the why, they need to know the ecosystem and the right. why behind it and all of it. Otherwise, they're going into it with, like you said, going with the flow. That is not how a developer works. They do not go with the flow. They follow a timeline, a sprint. And actually, my developer is Google Project Certified. So, mm -hmm. you know, I specifically put them through that um certification process because of this right i want him to think about things in this format and i want my developers and my tech people really i want all my people to think this way and this is how we handle pre-event marketing you know but this was a seminar workshop so it needed even more massaging in terms of how do i apply something that is for personal injury law firms to a mass tort practice yeah so it was required that i had this with my developer because he needed to truly understand, okay, how are we going to use this? If they're showing me how to use it for demands for motor vehicle accidents, we don't do that. What do we do that is similar to that to be able to use it? Right. Well, we do play the fact sheets. We do yeah. PPFs. We do certain documents that would be useful for us to know how do they use AI to fill out those documents so we can in turn model that use similar software or find something better. So the conference was primarily shaped for it to be useful for personal injury lawyers, because one thing that's also, you know, even though now PILMA as an acronym is no longer, it used to be personal injury mastermind something, right? It's no longer that. Now it's a different thing because they've actually expanded, not just to be relevant to personal injury lawyers, but I think his, historically it's it's been very personal injury centered. And so was the AI workshop or seminar for the practice of law in general or or, or was it more centered on the use of it for, for personal injury processes? The practice of law and really how to use it for marketing the practice mm. of law. So they showed you it was a structured two-day event and they mm -hmm. started off with content generation and then they drilled down into how to create uh, video content, how to create this type of content, that kind of content. And each section had its own, you know, uh, how mm -hmm. to use the AI for that. Yeah. Um, that, so the first day was mainly, I'd say the first half of the day was mainly about creating content because that seems to be the, the most difficult thing, right? New, uh, innovative, 
not duplicative content um, on a regular yeah. basis about your firm, about what you can provide services. That's what they focused on, I'd yeah. say. It makes sense, right? Because it's so available, right? Just chat GPT, right? You just go there, write me a page of, you know, uh, car accidents, how, what to do after a car accident. Um, but, but, but it's right. I mean, you need to understand how to actually use the tools to create something that um, it's going to be uh, of good quality or enough quality for you to post on your website, see results and not get into trouble, right? I mean, those are very three important parameters that um, if you're just not paying attention, you're you're going to likely fall into one of those or all three of them. Yes, very much so. So they did, I mean, really even just, I should have started with the way it started because they did give you understanding the strengths and weaknesses of AI. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people misunderstand that AI is a tool and not a replacement for people, right? Mm. So you need it, but I mean, it can be used and it and it's not that you need it, but it's going to supplement what you're already doing. Yeah. And again, not replace it. And I think that's an important component that people forget. And further to that, we are law firms, right? So people forget about the privacy problems potentially. Um, remember, it's not GDPR compliant yet. ChatGBT is not. Um, they're still working on um, compliance issues with AI in general. So unless you have it within your own closed ecosystem, you do have to be aware of the potential issues if you're trying to feed it any sensitive yeah. data. Do yeah. not do we that. We talked about that. We, we talked about that uh, in one of our most recent conversations on the topic is that you need to be very careful into what you're copy-pasting into ChatGPT because we do not know where that data is going and for what is being used. Great. One of the things also, I, I don't want to deviate, but um, there has been notices circulating about, okay, do you, do, you, are, do you use G Suite, right, as the platform for where you um, create uh, or use Google Documents or whatever for creating documentations and such. And it's being argued as to whether it's, it's safe from the standpoint that um, some people are saying, well, it looks like Google is denying it, but some people are saying that Google is training their own AI models using data that exists inside their cloud. And that could also potentially uh, get into Google Documents and such. I've researched that and their statement is it, it is not, right? It, it, it's not getting crawled, but you know, there are certain times that you can just take risks and you need to understand very well what what data can live in 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 certain ecosystems and which ones you can just not afford to take the take the take a risk. So so that element of compliance is huge. It is. And you know how I feel about compliance, right? TCPA, A2P, Can Spam Act. I mean, when it comes to compliance, I am neurotic. For good reason, obviously, we're a law yeah. firm, so we're hold to we're held to a higher ethical standard, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. Besides, especially us as marketers within legal, the ABA marketing handbook for personal injury lawyers is one of the most stringent, and New York has some of very stringent laws within it as well in how to communicate and what information you're allowed to use. What you know, and this opens a whole potential can of worms into the AI world if you're feeding it information that is sensitive to begin with. I mean, you should never feed information to any type of database that isn't HIPAA compliant or compliant in some manner that secures your client's data. 
Yeah. And unfortunately, while they might be saying that that's not going to happen, it's not being fed this, it's not being fed that, we all know that it's easy, not easy, easy, but easy enough for those who know how to do this to get sensitive data and pull it from anywhere. If it lives in the cloud, it's accessible by somebody. And if it's accessible by somebody, that means that they can get it. So I would just suggest that always go into this knowing that it's going to be helping you to create things, but do not ever feed it sensitive data. Do not ever feed it, you know, socials or anything like that that could potentially get out there or be left in the cloud somewhere that you don't have control over the data that you have of your clients. Yeah. So what did they say about about content creation? Like what? So, yeah, they went over a couple things actually. They started with, um, you know, use a prompt to unlock solid content because you know you have to use prompts in a specific way yeah. of asking ChatGPT to give you information. Yeah. Um, so they they focus kind of on like how to create content uh, verbally, but they really mainly focused on imagery. So. Um, they focused on how to use AI for images to create unique images. Yeah, that's brilliant. Very, very smart. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How to create a podcast and promotional voiceovers using AI, which you know, there's there's definitely stuff nice. that's good for that. Um, and then yeah, totally. Super cool stuff on the video stuff. Really, um, they're using Pictory and creating instant videos. Um, like for the short form videos, but also they taught you in a secondary section um, how to do long form videos using AI. So it was really, really cool on all of the marketing side of things and creating images, on creating videos, on, you know, that whole first day was focused on that. And they did talk about SEO and AI and again, prompt and creating content yeah. using the prompt system. So it kind of did an all in one, but really harnessed in on how to use this for imagery, right? Because Everybody likes images and people really respond to video. So I like that they focus on that because it, I mean, my developer came back like super excited. They're like, look at this. Oh, we could create this. We create that. We create this. And then that was the first day. The second day they started focusing more on the actual, um, like PI or firm specific things that you can use the AI for. Um, uh, mm -hmm. first thing they talked about was creating your own avatar. I don't know if you know, um yeah so the avatars people really love them um they kind of they <laughs> yeah. look like you you know what i mean and i think yeah that, they're fun yeah and so i think ed wants one for him right that and i think anybody that knows ed i think that would be a lot of fun to see that so we're in the middle of developing an avatar for him he's going to be the first one we develop for you know our firm and then we're going to kind of go down and do the partners and the attorneys and maybe yeah even eventually all the employees but we'll start with ed so that was kind of cool to like take away from that. Um, and then they really went into um, using AI for staff intake, case investigation, indexing documents, articles, leading them to the team and client, uh, custom bots for your docs, uh, case scribe. This in and of itself was probably one of my favorite parts. And this kind of does lead into what I was telling you, though, about worrying about feeding things uh, that are potentially sensitive, uh, medical chronology and demands. OK, kind of using it as a case scribe. You can feed it basic information. Again, it cannot be any sensitive info about the person, um, but you could develop a medical chronology based on someone's medical records as long as you're not feeding it 
potentially sensitive information. But again, it's to use AI for your benefit. It's to use AI for the firm's benefit and to really leverage AI as a tool, not a replacement. Because yeah. while you could feed it tons of medical chronologies, you can feed it a bunch of different formats of information. Remember, it is a machine and it has to learn. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's kind of a big component for people to also remember that if you start dabbling in AI, pick one or two things and run with that first. See how it works and then continue on. But this is always going to be a continual improvement process, guys. It's not a one and done. Right, because as it learns and as you learn and as you learn and it learns, better things should come out of it, better information, and there should be less and less triple review, but you're still gonna always have to review what the AI spits out at you. Yeah, it, it is exactly what you say, Grace. It's it's a tool and it's, it's a matter of really um, understanding that you trying to make your team and yourself more resourceful, more productive by actually leveraging these things, right? And most importantly, um, expand into things that you thought or were not accessible to you before. Now all from the sudden, you do have access to them and you can start exploring, as you said, right? Uh, maybe the idea of creating a custom imagery, right? For your website and not necessarily having to use the same Shutterstock stock images that everybody uses on their website was not something that was uh, feasible uh, prospect for you before. Now it is, right? Um, or, you know, creating um, audio promotional segments for your firm, whether it's for a podcast or as a, as a radio spot, you can now. And a bunch of other great things that you can do in video, right? Now, you know, from simple things like being able to do a selfie video and read out of a script and then have AI literally there is an app and i'll link to it in the uh, episode notes uh redirect your eyeballs to the camera instead of like so there's a lot of very cool things that you can do and you can also train ai to basically know how to replicate your voice so you can actually have ai create a, a promo of you in your voice without necessarily having you uh have to record it um again you know uh, like Grace already mentioned a million times in this conversation, everything needs to be done with caution. And one thing that kind of like in this topic, I, 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 it gives me hope, and I, I, I'm, I, I hope this is just a trend that we that we see and that gets implemented correctly throughout different channels and spaces. Is disclaimer or labeling AI created content as AI created content? Right, especially when it becomes audio video, um, it's very, very, very important to distinguish it as machine generated, as otherwise it can actually start creating a lot of manipulated misinformation, things that could be just you know confusing at best to 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 the market or way more harmful. Um, 
if if uh used in other ways so um yeah no that's that's great i'm really really happy to hear that you your team had the opportunity of participating in it it's great i think it's definitely not going to be the last uh ai centered conference that we've seen we've actually know that there's been a lot of interest and there's actually a lot of a lot of uh, already great examples of of firms using ai for many different purposes in very efficient ways. And one thing I really like going back to the opening of the conversation before we move into takeaways, Grace, is, is what you said, right? Like th this application assistance inside your CRM, eventually inside your case management software, or that are widgets that can also read and work inside other applications, like your case management software. I think these ones are going to be really the, the the game changers, right? I think uh, the convenience of being able to put a small prompt and then create a full report, put a small uh, prompt and get your emails out or responded, put a small prompt and get a to send detailed information to B so that our report can be filed. I mean, all of those things are just real accelerators of efficiency that will just allow firms to be faster, right? I mean, one of the things that is talked a lot about is how much, how much time does it take you to process and manage cases, right? How long does it take you from signing up a client to taking cash in. And I think, you know, that gap that exists between these two phases, this can help a lot. And firms who get good at it will win. And vendors who get good at it will win. So, yep, everyone on their end, they should 100% be leveraging AI and not pushing it away, right? And just kind of like get, get married to the idea, I know, traditional way, and we do this here, these things and that, and, you know, certain things, sure, right? You know, stick to your standards, stick to your beliefs. That also has a lot of value. Just don't get left behind. All right, Grace. I, I love this um, and I'd love to hear what are your main takeaways and, and mind you, uh, those takeaways can also be new stuff that may, we may have not necessarily uh, talked specifically about or a one particular idea of how to use AI to get something. Yep. So my first takeaway is reset your brain regarding AI. Think of it less like a new piece of software, which I think stops a lot of people. Think of it more like an Excel macro that provides suggestions for repeated tasks that a human does not mm -hmm. need to do. That's how you yeah. need to look at it. AI is truly a tool to help you with repetitive tasks that you are getting paid way too much money to not have to do anymore. So let AI do that for you. Let it, like you said, use it to create emails and auto respond using prompts. Use it for these yeah. Just like your Excel macros that are built in and uh, code that you have to automatically do formulas, that's what AI is for. So that is my first thing is reset your brain to think of it as a tool and use it for the things that you have to do over and over and over again. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I would just say, you know, for some particular tasks that you do um, frequently, but a template won't quite do 
right? Like an email template, for instance, won't quite do every single time. Then create a template form that, uh, sorry, prompt form that you can then feed to say you chat GPT and then you're going to get something more personalized. So whether this is a welcome letter to the firm where you can actually, uh, in the prompt, for the sake of giving an example, write a personalized letter welcoming to our law firm, which is called this, that, and that, um, this new client whose name is this, and um, is hiring us to handle this type of accident, and you fill in the blank, right? And they've called us on this day, and I was really touched by what they say about, and you fill in the blank, right? And then you put that through ChatGPT and you don't get a letter that reads exactly the same as it would um, if you were be using this out of a generic template that gets sent out to every single person and you just, you know, kind of like sign at the bottom, but it doesn't really feel very personal, even though it has the name of the person at the very opening. Um, this actually is about this person, their case, what you've talked during that first initial consultation and such. That can be very powerful. And you don't have to do it, right? You don't have to write it. It's just done for you and you're leveraging kind of like AI here for it. Sure, you'll have to um, read it, confirm that it's correct. Maybe do some line edits, right? Maybe, hey, you know, you're not getting it quite right, right? You're making it too formal. It's a, that's why you want to create prompts that you can repurpose and use because it's going to have those tweaks also in it. It didn't do it right. So maybe I need to make a note, make it um, empathetic, but not too formal, right? And so once you've given all those instructions, then you're eventually going to hit the right spot and you're going to get something that consistently is going to be coming in a way that you'll feel comfortable using it. So, you know, sure, will creating that prompt and that formula may take you more than it will take you to write that one card at one time? Probably yes. But from then on, you're going to be saving a lot of time using and leveraging this. What do you think, Grace? Takeaway number two. That was it. it that's what we do. We actually currently use that sales, the smart prompt oh, great. <laughs> for sales emails mm -hmm. to other law firms. Yeah. So it's exactly what you're saying because we created the general format of the body and then they have to personalize mm -hmm. it with anything that they know about the individual or the firm or Correct. whatever. And it actually takes it a step further and looks up information about that firm and can add additional personalization from their website and other resources that we pull this data from using the yeah. smart prompt. So yes, a hundred percent, very, very well put a hundred percent. And you could, for instance, you say, oh, but Grace, you're using some very special software for that or such, even if you're not, and you're just have access to chat GPT, right? You can also have a line where it says, uh, also acknowledge any important milestones that this organization fill in the blank has had in their history, right? And then, you know, it's not for John Smith, right? The, just a regular person, you may not gonna get anything in particular, or it may not get the right information for you. But if you're dealing here with well-established law firms that have been around for at least 15 years, right? Probably there will be some data that it's gonna be able to, to pull up from. 
Not every single time, but sometimes it will. But yeah, 100% great. It's a beautiful example. Great. Excellent. So what do we going to do as takeaway number three? I think we can go back to our branding conversation since that was the first thing we talked about. Yeah. You know, since I think AI, you know, there's there's a lot to be had on that. And I think the, the two that we gave which should be good. So branding. Um, I think we're left to see if this is truly a brilliant move or a bust move. Right. Right. So take lessons from rebranding that you've seen. I mean, we've seen Coca-Cola rebrand. We've seen, well, their attempt at rebranding or a brand refresh when they did yeah. the new Coke thing. That was terrible. So you got terrible. You've got great. You've got, we don't know what's going to yeah. happen. So brand refreshes are great. Best practices state that, that yes, every 10 years, it, it makes sense to do so. But a brand restructuring and complete change it's not something that we normally suggest uh we're going to be left to see what's going to happen with it with him um but i don't think any of us are really big enough potentially maybe a couple here or there that everybody knows and i will not name those firms but those firms um can rebrand cannot rebrand without potentially causing a serious issue like a complete rebrand like Twitter did yeah. without potentially causing a serious issue with our clients, right? Because then they won't remember who you are. Yeah, 100%. have a disconnect. So, 100%. yeah, I, I, I wouldn't suggest this yeah. for anybody else. The, the, platform, <laughs> the platform that Twitter itself got when they decided to rebrand was news on its own right. And so obviously there was a lot of noise made about it. And, and that, that in itself helped a lot the, the, the rebrand process to land in a way that it was probably not very harmful for the user experience of like, where am I? Wait a second, right? Of course, some were, but probably not the majority. I think here really what, what, what really raised a lot of eyebrows is like, why would you kill a brand that is so, so, so well positioned and so recognized? Like, why would you do that for something that no one's ever heard and that doesn't necessarily carry any inherent value in it. But, you know, just to add another element to your takeaway here is kind of like the determination, right? I think that's really what what is uh, impressive about this whole move is like, we've decided to rebrand, we made it happen in a matter of 10 days. And we just didn't got uh, intimidated by the magnitude of the task. Sure, right. Was there a few, were there, three days where the app icon did not match the logo at the header on the inside the app. Yes, it happened, right? But eventually it got fixed and it it's all now streamlined and it's done, right? So, you know, don't, don't seek necessarily for perfection immediately. Just get on it, start doing it, and then don't stop until you you hit that end line that you have set yourself as like completed. Uh, but very, very impressive, the timeline in which they did it. Grace, thanks so much for another great, great conversation. And we'll be back again here in a couple of weeks with another episode. We'll be back soon. Thank you, Leo. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your coworkers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at We'll see you next week.